Welcome back to One Visit Away with your host, Kevin Fitzpatrick. This show focuses on true stories of philanthropy in order to understand what it takes to succeed in major gift fundraising. Listen to these stories and you'll realize you're just one visit away from a transformational experience for your benefactors and your organization. If you haven't done it already, I really think you should check out MarketSmart's new white paper titled Fundraising Automation, the Nonprofit Leader's Guide to Optimizing Operations. Here's why. You probably have plenty of prospects identified, more than enough for each gift officer. But while these folks might have capacity and affinity, according to prospect research, in most cases, they're not ready to meet with your staff. You know this is true when you reach out and they don't engage and answer your calls or emails. That's why you need to read this white paper. It will help you understand how you can warm up your identified prospects so they pre-qualify themselves for your outreach. That way, your staff will stay more focused, working with the major donor prospects who said they are ready while automating cultivation for the rest until they signal that they're ready. Think of it like this. With fundraising automation, you're basically adding a helper to your team who works 24-7 and never takes vacations. One who knows exactly what to say to help people move themselves forward so they lean in and even raise their hands or set an appointment with a gift officer entirely on their own. This white paper will help you understand how you can deliver this kind of truly donor-centric cultivation automatically so you won't have to hire more staff. Instead, you'll optimize the great people you've already got and raise more money more efficiently. Download the free white paper on fundraising automation from MarketSmart now at imarketsmart.com optimize to learn all you need to know so you can decide whether to build an automated cultivation system on your own or you might want to avoid that headache and get MarketSmart to do it for you in a matter of weeks. Either way, I urge you to check out this free report at imarketsmart.com optimize. Welcome back to the One Visit Away podcast. There is a fantastic book that I've mentioned before that you should read if you haven't already. It's called Rich Dad, Poor Dad by Robert Kiyosaki. And basically the premise of the book is, uh, I'm pretty sure most of this is fictional, but there's some elements of truth to it. But basically in the book, Robert <clears throat> describes how so he had two dads. His poor dad was his actual father. Um, and then his rich dad was like a local businessman who he learned a bunch of things from. So his his poor dad uh, was a university professor and, you know, just just had this mindset of you go to work, you get paid, and you do, you know, you just punch the clock and that's the best you can do and that's pretty much all there is in life. And his rich dad very much believed that you could uh, control a lot of things and have enormous levels of success. And like one of the things he talks about, one of the lines that's always stuck with me, he says, poor people say, I can't afford that. Rich people say, how can I afford that? And I think that in and of itself is a, uh, a great um, piece of information on how to live life. You can either just say, ah, this is the case, nothing I can do about it. Or you can say, how can I achieve that? How can I afford that? How can I become that? When you allow your mind to start thinking of how, 
uh, it opens up a bunch of new possibilities that you never would have considered before. But anyway, so that's kind of the premise of the book. And it's all about, you know, uh, owning a business and personal finance and stuff like that. But there's another really important uh, part of the book, one that stood out to me. I don't have it in front of me, so I'll probably get some details of this wrong, but you'll get the, the general premise. Basically, after he'd written, I think it was after Rich Dad, Poor Dad came out. So this must have been an addition, you know, in a later edition of the of the book. But there was a, it was a young woman. I think she was a, like a journalist or had some, some career in writing. But she wasn't, you know, she wasn't really successful yet, hadn't gotten a lot of traction. And I think she had, you know, been educated in all the the best places. She probably went to somewhere like Harvard or who knows. She just had this phenomenal pedigree, but she wasn't a successful writer or not nearly as successful as she thought she should be. And she gets this interview with Robert. So they're sitting down at like a hotel lobby or something like that. And she's asking him questions about the book. And one of the things she tells him is like, man, I read through your book and there are so many errors. There's grammatical errors. There are misspelled words. There's this, there's that. And it's just really not a great piece of writing. And she's, you know, telling him about all this stuff. And then she tells him how like, she's such an amazing author and all this stuff. And like, it doesn't, it doesn't make any sense that, that he is sitting here, you know, having sold millions of copies and she, she has not achieved similar success in writing. And he says, I want you to, you know, after she's sufficiently insulted him about his writing, uh, he tells her, I want you to look at the cover of this book. What does it say right there? And it says best-selling author. And, you know, it's interesting when you look at best-selling author, you, you don't really think about those words too much, but he says, look at what it really says, best-selling author. It doesn't say best author. And his point was, is that he is really good at sales and marketing, and that has an impact on how many people purchase your thing. And this really applies in the world of major gift fundraising. Now, You've heard some of my episodes on sales versus fundraising. Uh, doesn't matter how much you think they're similar or not. The reality is, if you want to call it sales, you want to call it major gift fundraising, marketing, whatever, the way you talk about your organization, the way you present it, has a dramatic impact on fundraising success. You can have an organization that's doing better work, arguably, than another. But if there's no one who's telling the donors about it, and there's nobody who's doing that well, you're not going to raise as much money as an organization that's, that's doing things effectively. And so I just want those of you listening to think about that. Like, it, it might not be fair, and it might not seem right just like that young woman with the perfect pedigree and all this stuff, she thinks it's not fair that she hasn't achieved great success. And you can think about that with your organization. And like she does, you can, you know, 
attack someone who is successful. People do this all the time in the nonprofit world. We we see another organization and they're raising more money than us and we're like, "But they suck." Like they're they're trash. We we know what's really going on there and we see the the great failures they have and some of the stuff they're doing that's not great for the community and this and that. And you can focus all your time on why they shouldn't be raising that much money and why it's not fair. Or you can ask yourself, what can I learn from them? What what can I do differently to excite our donor base? Do I need to, or is that even the problem? Is, is maybe the problem simply that I'm not going to visit with our donors? Maybe your programs are more effective than the competitors, but are you visiting with your donors? Are you helping them feel valued? Are you getting to know them? Maybe the other organization is. Maybe there's something about their marketing and the way they talk about their work that resonates much more deeply with their donors. And so we as fundraisers have a great responsibility to work for causes that are worthy of being moved forward because we can have a tremendous impact on the success or failure of an organization. Ultimately, I believe it's the leader's responsibility to uh, shoulder that burden and create the vision and everything kind of flows from there. But we as fundraisers have an enormous role to play. You know, if you are a best fundraising organization, that is a different thing than a best organization. Now, you should be the best organization. Everything should be done as uh, efficiently and as effectively as possible. But if you're just focused on that and not also focused on how can we improve our fundraising efforts, how can we use what people already know is effective, implement that here and have much greater success, you got to start doing that. Otherwise, you're just going to be the journalism major that's sitting in front of the extraordinarily successful author that she could learn a lot from. And instead of sitting there actually trying to learn, you'll just be uh, critiquing them and just letting them experience your rage with no productive point. So that's the tip for the day is become a best fundraising organization. And go check out the book, uh, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. It's a great book to learn more about mindset and personal finance and entrepreneurship. Um, And I'd highly recommend it. So I hope that episode was valuable to you. If it was, please leave a rating and review in Apple Podcasts. As always, go check out my course, Major Gift Millions. You can learn more onevisitaway.com slash millions to find out everything you need to know there and go get enrolled. And as always, I hope this episode has inspired you to schedule more visits. After all, you're just one visit away from getting closer to becoming a best fundraising organization.